0: Not too far away from college basketball season, only a week and a day to go. And on this episode, I'm going to highlight one of the unsung heroes, if you will, of the college basketball industry, and that is sports information directors. They are the ones that provide a lot of statistical information, provide social media graphics, whole nine yards. And joining me is one of those sports information directors from Creighton University, Rob Anderson. Rob, thanks for coming on the show today. No problem, Tim. Good to be on. Okay, so you've been at Creighton for quite some time, nearly two decades now. And you were obviously present when Creighton made the jump from the Missouri Valley uh, to the Big East uh, back in 2013. So try to take me through exactly what that time is like as the institution moved from, I guess, a mid-major to – more of a power conference in the world of college sports.
1: Well, there have been rumblings, uh, you know, starting that fall, winter, probably Decemberish or so. It seems when the uh, when some of those Big East schools broke aw- broke away, that some of the Catholic schools broke away. As far as you know, what's going to happen and how's that all going to work out? And here's a list of potential candidates and all that stuff. And you know, I, I wasn't involved in every single meeting. Uh, and and all during that time, but um, you know certainly as things progressed and there were more more and more more and more reports about possibilities and what experts th- thought might happen, um, you know you continue to hear Creighton their name being raised and, and as a possible candidate and, and all that and, and certainly I knew that, that Creighton has a lot of, a lot of positives that would that would be attractive to, uh, a conference in a, in a situation like that. So, uh, I mean, I think it was, it was March, uh, we were at our conference tournament at the Missouri Valley conference tournament when I think there were a lot of, a lot of meetings going on. And and then, uh, you know, at one point there was, there were tweets saying, Hey, Creighton voted not to join the big East. And, you know, five minutes later, the reporter's like, Oh, I didn't mean to put not, you know, which is kind of a key word, <laughs> um, that, that, we were in the middle of a conference tournament game when all that's going on, and and obviously I'm not in contact with the university president in the middle of the game to know what went on in that meeting, and uh, certainly had a lot of questions, more questions than answers at that point, and I think it was about a week later we were flying to Philadelphia, of all places, to play a Big East team at the time, Cincinnati, when uh, we were just getting off the plane when they had the press conference with with the university presidents and whatnot, and we learned that we were going to be joining the Big East, and and then that, oh, by the way, this is it's late March, and this is going to be happening uh, July 1st. Uh, so there's certainly a, a ton of things to figure out. The Big East had uh, had a, a lot of new staff to, to hire and to relo- relocate their headquarters and whatnot, um, trying to come up with new league policies and scheduling and, um, you know, conference tournament formats, um, things like that. And just from a, from a Creighton perspective – you know, adjusting all of our materials that had Missouri Valley Conference logos, our, our 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 basketball courts, our volleyball courts that have logos on them. You know, your jerseys, your letterhead. Uh, there's so many, so many little things you don't think of that. Uh, you know, your website. There, there's so many different things you don't think of that. You know, like oh yeah, we, we use that that logo or that mark on there or on here. And uh, you know, you you look, it's just in my closet, I got all these Missouri Valley Conference T-shirts that you know, well, I'm not going to be part of the Missouri Valley, uh, you know, in a few months. So there's a, there's a whole lot that goes into it, um, you know, just from a very basic level, certainly at the administrative level, it's even more so as, you know, travel partners and, uh, you know, things like that, how, how the money's going to be split and, and who decides what, And uh, you know, there's a lot that goes into it, but um, you know, and we're Cre- Creighton's entering its or in the middle of its seventh season now in the big East and um, you know, About the time we're getting comfortable, all of a sudden they're adding UConn back into the mix, which for a lot of people will be familiar, but to a lot of people around Creighton, um, there's not a lot of connections between Creighton and and UConn. And certainly we look forward to uh, learning more about the Huskies here in the years to come.
0: And how have you personally viewed the Big East era of uh, Creighton athletics?
1: Well, I think it's made uh, some of our programs real visible, um, you know, from a men's basketball perspective. 10 years ago we probably had you know four or five games on what we'd call national tv whether it's a espn2 or espnu uh something like that or the incident way tournament and now um you know we've got 31 games scheduled i believe for men's basketball and every single one is on fox sports one or fox sports regional um, you know cbs sports network some of the television partners the the big east has so from that perspective it uh it gives people a platform where if they wanted to follow our teams, um, it's probably a little easier or we're, we're in the news more, we're traveling to different parts of the country. So some of our East coast alums, um, it's easier for them to get to it. Some of, some of our cent, central time zone alums might be able to get closer to uh, DePaul or Marquette. Um, you know, even Butler and Xavier aren't too far away. Um, you know, it's, it's different though. Our teams are, are certainly flying a whole lot more. Uh, but, but, you know, there are, there are times where when we do some good things, Um, you know, it's when, you know, when we're in 2014, our first year in the league, we had a game at Villanova where we, we hit 21, three pointers and Villanova was top five in the country. We beat them by 28. And I think in the first half, we had 14, three pointers and we're up almost 30 at halftime and it's on Fox sports one. And, you know, at the time Fox sports one was just getting started. But if you were a national media member, you knew that, Hey, I get, I get that channel. I can turn it. I can't believe what Creighton's doing. And you know, having having a guy like Doug McDermott end up winning National Player of the Year, I I'm not sure he could have had identical stats, but I'm not sure he gets the same exposure if we're still in the Missouri Valley Conference, um, because I mean he was he was first team All American and had very similar seasons as a sophomore and junior, uh, but it really didn't take off nationally until he was a senior, um, you know, and it led to him being National Player of the Year, cover Sports Illustrated, um, the whole works.
0: And you mentioned it, and you, it's like you almost read my mind almost. I was going to ask you about that Villanova game, MLK Day 2014. And from an SID standpoint, I, I feel like for the most part you're taught to, you know, try to keep a straight face and, you know, stay professional. But I feel like during that barrage, I felt like you must have been screaming internally in the early stages of that game when you guys made your uh, just raining three after three to start the game.
1: I mean, I knew we were like, we were good. We've always had good shooting teams and, and I didn't realize until after the fact that, you know, we started the game nine for nine from three point range at our first nine possessions. Um, you know, and, and I mean, Ethan Rogge was an unbelievable shooter. Doug McDermott was an unbelievable shooter. There were lots of guys on that team that, that had big games throughout their career. And that was just one of those special nights where it was two or three days after a game at Providence where nobody shot it well. And, and we just hit some shots early and, and, went up big on Villanova. I think they cut it to like 14 or 15 and then we blew them out to start the second half and it, it was just, it was a crazy night. I remember I was frustrated. I usually, I always keep a media guide with me and I, I'd given it to somebody during the day and didn't have one with me and the, the wireless internet wasn't great at Wells Fargo that night and, and I'm trying to look stuff up and tweet and all that stuff and, and I didn't didn't have everything I would have liked to have had at my fingertips, and. Um, you know certainly it's a it's a one-of-a-kind We uh, hope it's not but it, it's uh it's a very unique night to to be able to do that against any team let alone a, a program as strong as Villanova and you know I I know that 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 definitely made a a national impression Um that oh man those those Creighton guys those are they're pretty good I guess and and you know it, it was more than just a, a Doug McDermott show it was it was Ethan Rogge and it was you know, Austin Chapman, Jahans Madigan, so many other guys on that night that that just started making shots and I mean that was it was pretty wild where you know, that was one of those games where when we got there, the fans in the crowd are sitting next to our radio guys trying to figure out, hey, which one's McDermott? And it's so oh that 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 skinny kid there and, and you know, by the end of the night they they were cheering for us and we're just in awe and I, I think we all were at that point.
0: Now, I mean that was had to be one of those statistical anomalies where, you know, it's setting all, like all these records in the books and then uh, he obviously gets the top spot on sports center the next day, like as the lead story. Um, but uh, obviously like stats and, you know, fun facts and all that, that's, that's more of the stuff that you have to work with. Um, so, I, I mean, I personally love him as well. So I, I really want to know, um, what, um, what your overall, um, where your interest in, you know, those information, that kind of information led you to doing, you know, something like this
1: breaking up. I can hardly hear you.
0: Okay. So I I was basically asking, um, uh, what essentially what led you into, um, working in sports information, um, specifically, at Creighton, and then where your fascination with uh, statistical oh. information and things like that comes in.
1: Yeah, I just I'm one of those kids growing up was always a stat nerd and playing playing various games that involved numbers and sports and stats and things like that. And I got into college and started working for the sports information office when I was a sophomore in college. Um, enjoyed that. Um, did an internship. I went to college at Wisconsin Lacrosse uh, and as part of my majors, I was a sports management major. As part of that major, I had to do an internship somewhere. And, uh, my boss at lacrosse, um, had worked, had done an internship himself probably 10 or 15 years earlier at Southern Illinois university in Carbondale. And, uh, he was kind enough to put in a good word for me. And, and, uh, I talked to those guys and they said, Oh yeah, if you want to come down here and work for free, uh, we, we'd take you. And, uh, so I, I moved to Carbondale, Illinois for a semester and uh, worked down there. And and when that wrapped up, I was trying to decide between, you know, grad school or, or trying to find a full-time job. And my preference was to try to find a full-time job. I, I wasn't interested in getting my master's necessarily. Um, and I was fortunate that another school within the Missouri Valley Conference was, was Northern Iowa. And they had an opening. And um, I applied for that, got that opening, and then started a few months later and was at Northern Iowa for three or four, three and a half years. And, and, uh, when, when Creighton opened up, I applied for that opening and, and started Creighton in 2001, but it's, it's, it's just one of those things that I like the sports. I like the numbers part. Um, I've, I, you know, it, it it's what I'll say. It involves a little bit of writing, uh, quite a bit of writing. And, um, you know, it's, it combines a lot of the skills that I, I think I do. Okay. And, um, it's, It's a job that I'm not quite sure what else I could do at this point.
0: All right, now I mean, obviously, you've been a crane for quite some time now, so you really know the city of Omaha pretty much front and back now. Um, So, obviously, Omaha, somewhere in Middle America, as the Counting Crows once said, uh, what makes Omaha so great to you?
1: Well, I I think for you know, there's not a you know top level professional team. Uh, in the state, um, you know, whereas in a lot of the other big East cities, you know, in Milwaukee, you're maybe overshadowed by the the Bucks or the Brewers. And in Chicago, certainly there's the Bears and the Blackhawks, Cubs, White Sox, you name it. You know, and you go on and on with whether it's the Bengals or the Pacers or the, you know what I'm saying, the Mets, the Yankees. Right. Um, and in, in Omaha, Nebraska, um, you know, there's a triple A baseball team affiliate of the Royals but there's not, there's not that other top team. So, so the, the Creighton teams are a huge draw and certainly the university of Nebraska is an hour away and they, they've got uh, a huge following throughout the state, but um, there's a lot of people in Omaha that that care much more so about uh, the Creighton Blue Jays, especially uh, when it comes to non-football sports. So uh, we've got a good, a good audience. Our our teams regularly lead the, lead the Big East in, in attendance and, in volleyball baseball men's basketball soccer um you know and we've got got a good fan base we get good coverage from our media and it's uh it's slow paced uh, slower paced than new york city where every time i go there i i'm not sure i could live in uh the hustle and bustle that the dent on new york city is and uh it's you know for somebody that grew up i grew up near milwaukee and and you know went to school at a division three school and, and and all that i don't i don't need you know, a school, a state school of 50,000 or more students. Uh, I think something like this is much, much more conducive to it. And then, and then certainly Creighton has has done an unbelievable job with under the leadership of athletic director, Bruce Rasmussen, of, uh, some top-notch facilities, especially in the last 15 to 20 years, uh, whether it be, you know, volleyball, women's basketball, baseball, soccer, men's basketball, um, They've all got new facilities and, and we, Creighton certainly takes advantage of those. And, and, uh, you know, I like the people I work with and, and, uh, you know, the media is good. The coaches are great. The student athletes are good. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's an easy place to like.
0: Now, another thing that Creighton has been known for over the years, the Creighton versus cancer tradition, uh, something that's been going on for nearly a decade now, um, what went into creating an event like this, and how has it been able to continue to be so great year after year?
1: Well, head, head men's basketball coach Greg McDermott uh, has been doing it uh, prior prior to even getting to Creighton. He did it when he was at Iowa State. Uh, his wife, Teresa, had breast cancer um, when he was – believe it. she was diagnosed with it when he was at Northern Iowa. Um, and I think it may, maybe it was his last year at Northern Iowa. But then when he got to Iowa State, he – he worked with the people at, at Nike and all just to help with, Hey, let's, let's kind of, let's, let's put a face to this and, you know, and in working with, I I know as far as it, it, he started doing it at Iowa State, but I know what we do at Creighton is, you know, our guys will wear special jerseys for that night that are, you know, pink and white special shooting shirts, essentially warm up shirts that, uh, you know, they auction off and and raise typically around $20,000 for, um and and you know if you're if you bid and win the you know hey i i had the winning bid on jersey number two um you know you you could tim you could say hey look you know what i want to i want to have uh such and such player wear this and on his warm-up i wanted to say you know grandpa you know joe or or you know my my sister so-and-so who's maybe been affected by cancer uh and it's it's something that that has a huge meaning because there's so many people that have have been affected by cancer, or, or are close with somebody who has. That that it really connects a lot of people. Um, you know that, and and you know there's there's a couple sponsors that are heavily involved with. I mean they'll they'll give out fifteen thousand pink shirts, and turn the arena bright pink. Um, you know Nike's still works with Coach McDermott. Dermott. Our guys will have you know pink and you know bright pink shoes that that you'll see. Sometimes the guys wear them just throughout the year, just as a as a reminder and to, to raise that awareness. And, uh, and certainly it raises money for a great cause. There's, there's two hospitals in town that, that don't agree on a whole lot of things, and they're, they're very competitive with each other. But, uh, you know, in the fight against cancer, they're, they're both in support of what Coach McDermott is doing. And, and uh, you know, it's, it's really a, an outstanding cause. And Coach has helped with some of that money and, and raised, you know, building building a, a – gosh, I can't think of the name of it off the top of my head – a uh, a place for people who who have family members affected by cancer where they can stay while they're while their relative is is in the in the hospital getting treatment kind of kind of like a ronald mcdonald house but but for ca- for cancer patient, patients so it's uh it's an outstanding cause and you know we've done it i think we've done it the last eight years i believe and you know we get a lot of really positive comments even from the visiting fans and administrators and uh, we get a lot of calls after. Like, hey, how did you guys do this? And Hey, what about this? Cause we're thinking of doing our own. And uh, there's, there's a lot of schools that do something related, something similar to a pink out, but I, I don't think there's a whole lot of schools that do it much better than than how Creighton has been able to pull it off.
0: Yeah. And I, I actually talked about how great you guys have been doing it over the years as part of uh, the an icebreaker segment. I did this about a few weeks ago, right at the beginning of October. And I talked about how a couple big East schools uh, only a couple though, Providence for one. And then Seton Hall last year had their own uh, pink games. And I essentially urged, you know, the rest of the conference to follow suit because of I me, mean, if, if, you know, Creighton's been pulling it off so well, Providence, and Seton Hall followed suit and both have gone well. So why not the rest of the conference? So, um, I, so uh, segueing into something else now, um, obviously Creighton has been at the forefront of March Madness for quite a few years now, uh, making it to several tournaments since you guys have uh, joined the big East back in 2013. But at the same time too, recently you've also hosted the NCAA tournament quite a few times, including the Midwest regional back in 2018. So obviously um, covering the tournament as an SID is one thing, but what's it like to host it in Omaha? At uh, what's now the CHI Health Center,
1: hosting an NCAA tournament as as a media coordinator, which is the role I've got, is far and away the most difficult thing we do um, throughout the year. And this, we're hosting it again, uh, first and second rounds again in, this March in 2020. And as a matter of fact, I had a meeting about it just this morning. Uh, I mean, it's, I mean, it's years and years of planning. I mean, I spent three days in Indianapolis this this June. Um, And then we meet monthly, roughly. uh, After that, Uh, in groups of probably thirty to fifty people, Uh, we'll have we'll have three days of meetings in December where some of the Inca Way staff come to town, and it is it is more thorough, more detailed than you can imagine. Um, And you know, it it is it is March Madness, the Incident Way tournament is one of the premier events in the country. And it certainly has a lot of eyeballs on it. And, uh, you know, financially it's a huge part of the NCAA budget, uh, CBS wise, they they, CBS invests a lot in, uh, obtaining the rights to it. And, uh, for the teams and the student athletes, the players, the the fans, it's, you know, it creates memories of a lifetime and you want to make sure that you do everything you can to pull it off as successfully as you can. But it's, it's as detailed as you can imagine. And, you know when you're when you're there in the incident way tournament as an SID, when you're, when you're playing in the tournament or have, it, have when a, you know like a Creighton team is playing somewhere, it's awesome to go somewhere because there's so many people that are there to help. There's a lot of media that are interested in your team's story and you get a lot of great coverage. But behind the scenes there's there's dozens of people that are working their tails off, uh, burning the candle at both ends for for a week or two straight, trying to make it as smooth as possible um, so that you don't even notice that they're there. And, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's something that is on my mind daily, (laughs) even though it's still whatever, five, six months away. Um, and it there's, there's nothing like it. And, you know, we've hosted the first and second rounds in 2008, 2012, 2015. And again, coming up in March. and, And like you said, in 2018, we hosted the regional and, uh, you know they're, they're different events certainly, um, and you know it's it's great exposure for the city. It uh, the the fans love it. It brings in some great teams and some great basketball and, and all that. And uh, you know that's frankly that's one of the reasons the the arena that we have was was built was to draw major NCAA type championship events. And it's it's hosted NCAA basketball. It's hosted the NCAA volleyball final four a couple times. NCAA wrestling. Um, they're trying to get the frozen for the, the hockey championship and it's hosted us Olympic swim trials. They don't want it to just be an arena that's used 20 times a year for Creighton basketball. They want it to be a, a, you know, a concert venue, a, a venue for elite events like the swim trials and, and so many other things. So um, it's, it's really a, a great thing for Omaha. And, you know, there's just remember there's, there's people like us that are are working around the clock to try to, try to pull it off the best we can it's it's an impossible thing to pull off with perfection you just hope that you minimize the mistakes and anything that goes wrong you're able to fix as as quickly as possible and and uh you know try to try to do the best you can to follow out the the procedures that the NCAA uh how they want you to run the event it's it there's there's nothing like it and you know creighton creighton might do a great job with their in game promotions and and how we do things on a daily basis for Creighton games, and when the Instant Way comes to town, they they say, "Well, that's that's great and good luck with that." But when the Instant Way tournament comes, this is how you're going to run the event, and we want it run so it's identical for every student athlete in the championship at all eight sites on the first and second round. And what we're doing in Omaha is the same thing that's going on in in Dayton or in Salt Lake City or in Tampa or wherever it might be, and you know it's, it's the same everywhere. Um, and it's, it's a lot of undertaking to try to get everybody on the same page and educate those people that help us out because it's, it's not just me. There's, there's literally hundreds of people that are involved um uh, but it's, it's my job to help know what's going on to, to lead them and direct them the best that we can.
0: Now, uh, last last question before um, I put you on the cold seat for a little bit of rapid fire. Now, obviously, the CHI Health Center is a great facility in Omaha, but not too far from there, you got TD Ameritrade Ballpark, uh, the home of the Creighton baseball team, and also the College World Series is held there every year. And I can't even imagine, you know, like hosting March Madness is one thing, but hosting the College World Series annually, I feel like that's a whole another monster right there.
1: Uh, hosting the College World Series is is different. It's very different. <clears throat> um, with that being an NCAA like championship, like a, a final round kind of thing, um, the NCAA has a lot more staff that are there, and and to be honest, they do a lot of a lot of the dirty work um, and and make our job for those of us at Creighton um, easier. It's not to say we're not involved. I've I've probably missed ten games in twenty years of the College World Series of or so that the time I've been at Creighton, um, we're usually there, but it's the incident way handles a lot of that stuff, but it's, you know, the world series it's for people that haven't been there. I, I'm not sure I've ever talked to anybody that has, hasn't been there and thought or that that's been there and, and thought it wasn't the coolest event they've ever seen. It's just got that old time charm. And it's, it's, you know, college baseball doesn't get the same exposure maybe as college basketball throughout the year where, by the end of the season, Zion Williamson is a household name and everybody knows this story. You know, you look up and down the, the world series and it's like, Oh, Hey, there's a, uh, you know, Kurt Suzuki. Oh, he won a, he won a national title at Fullerton. Hey, there's, um, got, you know, uh, Garrett Cole. He, 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 uh, I don't know if he won Garrett, Garrett Cole and Trevor Bauer were, were college teammates at UCLA. They came to the college world series, Jackie Bradley jr. and, and, and some of those guys in South Carolina had a, had a loaded team that was here several years in a row. And I mean, every, every year there's, there's, you know, virtually every college world series team ends up having three to five future major leaguers on it. And some of them are on the fast track and some of them are, are, are in Omaha a week after they've been drafted. So they're they're household names in Omaha and, and it's one of those cool things to say, hey, Oh, I remember I saw this guy do this in college and, 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 you know, I mean, you name it, I mean Vanderbilt's had so many great pitchers through the league whether it's Walker Buehler or or um you know Tyler Beedy's up been up in the majors Dansby Swanson's a pretty good for the Braves now guys like that I mean that like man we we've seen all those guys and and uh you know Vanderbilt had a couple kids on last year's team that won a national title that you'll be seeing drafted pretty high here in the next year or two as as well and they just you you get to you you follow the sport a whole lot closer knowing that the championship is going to end in your hometown in June and and uh in omaha i think that's probably the the top weekend of the year is, is probably that those week or two in june when the college world series is in town um everything really comes to life and it's it's an unbelievable event um but i you know it's it's very cool but from a simply a a amount of workload perspective the instant way basketball tournament is is in the whole another league uh compared to what the college world series is
0: all righty. So I'm um, going to hit you now with a little rapid fire in a segment that I, I mean, John Fanto is my first guest on the cold seat. So I guess you are officially my second. So are you ready for this, Rob?
1: I'll do my best.
0: All righty. Omaha's Omaha's well-known for steak and there's a lot of places that serve it. If you were to recommend one steakhouse to any visitor of the city, which one would you recommend and why?
1: Uh the place that all the college world series writers go to is called the drover. And it wasn't open last summer cause they had a fire, but they've reopened and they're back in business. And it's, uh, it's probably f- five to seven miles from, uh, from TD Ameritrade park. But there are, there are writers that probably get there four or five times during the course of two weeks during the college world series. That's there's, there's a lot of great places though. I, I hate to single out just one.
0: All right. Favorite place uh, to visit in the uh, to visit in the Big East for me it's boy
1: there's a lot of cool places I mean I, I grew up just outside of Milwaukee so usually a trip to Marquette I'll get to see some family which which is always nice um, I, I like going to Xavier there's some people I know in Cincinnati but I think they've got a great environment at Xavier um, those are those are probably the two that come to mind the most, but there's there's not a lot of bad options in the Big East. I mean, every every uh, venue's got a you know half of them are playing at NBA arenas, places like that, and you know there's there's some pretty good followings around the league.
0: Your initial thoughts the first time you stepped into Madison Square Garden for Creighton's first appearance in the Big East tournament five and a half years ago.
1: Uh, for the we put we had played during the regular season, you know, a month or two earlier, but for right. the tournament, this is not going to be a rapid question answer. Sorry, but sure, uh, it's okay. It, it was one of those things where we we showed up to like you know you you opened the conference tournament on whatever Thursday we were the two seed that year. Well, the previous Saturday we had had Senior Day, and did the regular season, just so happened to be the day that Doug McDermott had a career high forty five points. He went over 3000 career points. Um, and you know, like two days later, literally the day we got to New York and, and had our first practice, he was on the the cover of sports illustrated came out. So, so there was, you know, a little bit of hype behind him in the middle of his National player of the year campaign. And then his, his first half of the Big East tournament, he goes for a Big East record for a half. I think he had 27 points. I think he had seven threes against DePaul and, uh, we made it to the final that year, lost to lost to the same Providence team we had just beaten in, on his senior day. But um, the Big East tournament is is something else with, with the fan bases and how everybody gets together. It's always a full house. I think the first game that day in the quarterfinals was the day that uh, Seton Hall hit a shot at the buzzer. Gibbs hit a shot at the buzzer to beat Villanova. And that was, that was one of those things like, whoa, this is <laughs> – anytime you see a buzzer beater in a conference tournament, NCAA tournament, those are always pretty cool to witness in person. So uh, that left a good impression. There's, I mean, I, I, I still miss the Missouri Valley conference tournament uh, and, and the way that the things that were run by the, by their league office in St. Louis and, and all that. But uh, the big East is certainly does, does pretty well itself at uh, hosting conference tournaments and, and all that at the garden.
0: I mean, who doesn't love a little large madness, right? <laughs>
1: it's I'm telling you it's, Creighton would bring five, six thousand fans every year to St. Louis, um, and they they got to a stretch where I think they won six of them in eleven years or something like that. And you know, it's it's not it's not easy to win a conference tournament. And uh, I think I think our fan base just thought like, oh yeah, it's cool. We go to St. Louis every year, and we go down there for three or four days. They win the tournament, we storm the court, and we have a good time, and we start spring break. And it just came to be a habit. And, and then certainly you've seen some of the fan. The, some of the travel our fans have made especially those first year or two uh within the big east where i, I think the first year they sold 2500 plus tickets and and all and, and we've got got a great fan base that's been top 10 in the nation for a number of years now and typically average right around 17,000 fans a home game and and uh, you know a lot of those fans are interested in following us on the road and certainly uh, madison square garden is is attractive not only to the players and coaches but You know, there's a lot of fans that have uh, Madison Square Garden on their bucket list, and and they want to go follow the Jays, and that's as good a place as any.
0: Yeah, and I know you mentioned uh, Doug McDermott that 27 point half he had against DePaul that record since uh, since then broken by uh, Miles Powell just last season. But uh, moving on from that, um, what your all time favorite stat that you had to um, produce um, as part of as part of your job?
1: Wow, <laughs> uh,
0: I can't even think. I mean,
1: boy, I would have to do a lot of thinking. I, I, you know, I think I think the one I mentioned earlier that you know it's it's not great research exactly. I anybody can count to nine, but you know <laughs> that going over game where Creighton started nine for nine from three point range after nine possessions, you're you're never ever 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 going to see that again in the history of college basketball actually, Creighton missed the shot in there, but it was a two-pointer. They got the offensive rebound, kicked it out for a three. So that's, so, I mean, it's, it was the and especially against the top five team on the road, um, it was it was just insane. And I mean, I've seen a lot of things. I mean, I, I was courtside when Marcus Howard put fifty three on us last year, and I saw virtually every point of Doug McDermott's career in person. But uh, that game against Villanova, I, I think. Uh, a couple of years ago, we we celebrated our 100th anniversary of, of Creighton basketball. The Omaha World Herald did a whole bunch of uh, features and whatnot. And I, I think I think they ran a fan poll or something. I, I think they had had that as the first or second best moment or best game in, in Creighton history. And you know, usually you think of oh that buzzer beater or that you know great performance by one guy, and instead of a well oh, a team won by 28, but it's 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 a special moment that you know still when we go back to. To Wells Fargo this uh, January or February, um, you know I, I wasn't sure if Villanova was ever going to let us back in that arena. Uh, it seems like we always kept going, playing at the Pavilion up until recently, but uh, we're going back to Wells Fargo this year, so hopefully we can uh, recreate some of that magic.
0: All right, now, um, oh my God, I just I just had this question on the tip of my tongue, but oh, so Nebraska is not that far from South Dakota, but uh, during um, so. Sp- since you're during your tenure, who would you put on the Creighton basketball Mount Rushmore?
1: Well, I think Creighton's had a lot of really, really good players, but I, I think, I mean, Doug McDermott was a national player of the year, all time waiting scorer, all time single season. I think he's got the top three. I think he's up there. Paul, Paul Silas sure. is uh owns rebounding records that, I think he owns our top 27 single game rebounding performances. I mean, it's, wow. it's, it's something insane. I mean, he had, he, he averaged 20 and 20. He's one of like five or six guys in NCAA history to average 20 rebounds a game. And the others are like Julius Irving, Bill Russell, Kermit Washington. El, uh, I don't know if it's Elgin Bayer. I mean, it's, it's, it's a cream of the crop list. Uh, you know, academic, all American NBA player, NBA coach. I mean, he's, he's certainly up there. Um, I think Kyle Corver has certainly had a nice long extended NBA career and um, you know, he was a second team All American in two thousand three. And then uh you know, Dane Altman was was uh was our head coach and kind of led the resurgence. Uh he took over in ninety four, took him a couple of years to get it going, but but he, he kinda of, he was our coach till two thousand ten and uh he's our all time wins leader, took us to the postseason, I think his last 13 years or 14 years, something like that. I, I don't have it off the top of my head, but, um, and he, you know, he helped recruit Kyle. I mean, he was, or he was, uh, Kyle Corver's coach. Um, but man, we're, we're leaving so many, I mean, Bob Harstad's top five in school history in points and rebounds. Roddy Buford played in the NBA. He's over 2000 points. Ryan Sears is regarded by a lot of people as our best point guard. I mean, you could go, you go up and down the list and, and, you could, you could build a couple more Mount Rushmore's and and everything else if you wanted to.
0: All right. So final question, let's just say aliens invade the earth and they somehow ask this question. What's this big East we've been hearing about. If you were to answer that question, how would you answer it?
1: (sighs) Man, I hope the aliens don't land anytime soon. Um, You can only hope. Yeah, well I would say it's it's a bunch of primarily Catholic schools that that you know are very strong academically and athletically, uh compete at the highest level. Uh really focused on basketball, but but good in a lot of different sports. Um and they they play in in some of the best you know facilities in the country uh whether it's home arenas or or postseason tournaments or whatever. Um you know, I, and it's probably just getting started, you know, it, it's only 40 years. You look at some of these other leagues that have been around for big 10, hundred plus years. And, you know, I, I don't know the ACC, but I'm sure they've been around forever. And, you know, the big East, you, you think about it, it's, it's 40th anniversary year. It's, it's not like it's been around forever. And, and in this current, current grouping of teams, it's year seven. Um, you know, I know there are a lot of great, great memories and great players and, and moments, you know, that I watched, before we ever joined the Big East before that was ever a thought whether it's you know the Patrick Ewing Chris Mullen days or the Derek Coleman Alan Iverson days or, or Dwayne Wade any, anywhere in between oh, actually Wade wasn't in the big east but you get the idea but I mean there's <laughs> been so many great guys right. throughout the league um Carmelo Washington too yeah and it's just yeah boy it's it's pretty cool but I I think the aliens would take a while to digest it all they'd have to they'd have to sit through a season of of uh you know the big east and and all its different sports to really get a good feel for it
0: you know i I definitely if if and when they come i will make sure i'm the first that gives them that experience i will put that on the top of my to-do list if the aliens come i will make sure i've informed them to the best of my ability (laughs) sounds good All right, Rob, uh, thanks for coming on the show, giving us an uh, an idea as to, you know, almost giving us a sneak peek behind the curtain as to how a lot of the magic goes down um, in the world of college sports. So, Rob, thank you for your time. Best of luck to uh, not only the men's basketball team, but all of your athletics uh, continuing throughout the entire season.
1: Oh, no problem. A lot of the the magic is it's it's a whole lot more people besides me that that, get a lot of that stuff done and, you're, you're talking to, to just one person but it's it's a huge operation uh and i'm just just one of many that that you know desire to help uh, help these young men and women you know have have a great experience in college and and then pass along the word to our fans and, and help keep everybody informed so appreciate the uh the request
0: awesome rob well again season starts next week uh best of luck to your teams all right thank you Welcome back inside the igloo. Now, during my last episode, I didn't have the chance to touch on this, but since I still got time with about a week left until opening night, and it's been a week since this came out, might as well talk about the preseason AP poll. Now, there weren't a lot of surprises, obviously, at the top with the top four being Michigan State, Kentucky, Kansas, Duke. Obviously, everyone knew Michigan State was going to be a number one, and overwhelmingly so. They got 60 of the 65 first-place votes. And then not a lot of other surprises amongst the top 10, at least. Other teams like Louisville, Florida, Maryland, Gonzaga, UNC, just to name a few. And then Villanova, Received the highest ranking of any Big East team at number 10. And then Seton Hall, not too far behind him, at number 12, with Virginia sandwiched in the middle, the defending national champs. And then the only other Big East team that cracked the top 25 was Xavier at number 19. And then four other teams received votes but didn't make the top 25. Marquette was just short of a top 25 spot. Georgetown got 11 votes. Creighton got four, and then Providence only got one vote. Butler, DePaul, St. John's did not get any votes at all. So, my overall take on the AP poll is I mean, it doesn't reflect what I personally think is going to happen within the Big East this year. Obviously, the AP believes that, well, the AP voters believe that Villanova is still the number one team in the biggies and it's going to take a lot for them to believe otherwise. And let's be real here. A lot of these AP poll voters, I don't think they have the same level of knowledge about the Big East as they should. But again, that's at least my opinion. They just happen to know that Villanova is the number one team and they have Jay Wright and a great recruiting class. That's pretty much all they know. They don't really know about, the lack of seniority on the team. I mean, they don't have a single player on their team that is a senior and is going to contribute at a high level. Unlike last year where they had Phil Booth and Eric Pascal. So needless to say, I was a little bit surprised to see them crack the top 10, but not overly surprised. And I should have expected it considering just the level of respect that these AP voters have for Villanova because they know about the pedigree that they've established with winning two of the last four national championships. Now, Seton Hall number 12 only validates that people really do believe that Seton Hall is a Sweet 16 caliber team. And they obviously respect the fact that they have a legitimate first team All-American on their, on their team in Miles Powell. Although I did read an article recently from an ESPN writer who actually, and I'm still scratching my head on this, that he, Miles Powell was only break number seven on this list, but number four, he had Udoka Azabuki from Kansas. Don't get me wrong. I think he's a great player, but you're, you mean to tell me that he's three spots ahead of Miles Powell in terms of the best players in the country? Like, give me a break. It's just terrible. And then Xavier at number 19. I thought that was a little bit higher than I thought they were going to be. But I think number 19 is a good spot for them. They have a lot of talent and they have one of the elite players in the Big East in Najee Marshall. And then as for the rest, Georgetown with 11 votes shows that the voters actually do see a lo- some potential with this Georgetown team. Same with Marquette. I-, I think the reason why Marquette was so close to cracking the top 25 is obviously because they still have Marcus Howard, who is like Powell, easily a first team All-American, at least in the preseason. And obviously we got to play things up to see what's really going to happen. But, The fact that seven of the 10 Big East teams were able to receive votes really shows how deep the league is going to be. And it's going to make for a lot of excitement. However, though, Creighton with four votes, which ranks sixth amongst Big East teams. However, they did suffer a big hit with Jacob Epperson basically breaking his leg. Okay, before I say anything factually incorrect, He had a severe leg injury in practice that might keep him out for the entire season. Again, that's per head coach uh, Greg McDermott, um, as he talked with a former guest of mine, John Fanta. So that's going to take a major hit on a team that is already getting hurt in terms of size in the lineup. They're a very guard-oriented team. Epperson had a lot of upside. He wasn't healthy for a big majority of last season. And they thought he was going to be healthy and ready to go for this season to play the whole season. And then this only sets him back. And it's just a shame to see such a good player have to go through a tough stretch of injuries like that. It's it's horrible and you hate to see it. And then... I mean, Providence only getting one vote surprised me a little bit because I think Providence is a pretty solid team, but like Creighton, they're very guard oriented. However, their one big man is really, really good, Nate Watson. However, not really sure about the timetable for when he's going to be back. However, according to some reports, he should be back for opening night. And. Or am I mixing that? Lewan Pipkins is expected back for opening night. Nate Watson expected back by the Northwestern game November 13th in Chicago. Even then, they still got David Duke, they still got A.J. Reeves, and they still got an all-Big East caliber player in Alpha Diallo. Overall, they're still a very good team, and I, I, think, they're, I think they're better than Creighton now because of that unfortunate injury. But... Let me just say this about the preseason polls. In college basketball, they don't mean as much as the polls mean in college football. Because college football, a lot of the times, the rankings are based on respect, the pedigree of your program. That's why you see programs like Alabama and Clemson always constantly rank near the top because of how good they've been. Well, for Clemson, at least over the years, recent years, but Alabama historically same with a team like Notre Dame. And listen, I'm a Notre Dame fan, I can say this, they don't, they didn't play like a top 10 team over the weekend at Michigan yet. There's, they were still a top 10 team at the beginning of the season. And a lot of that was based on respect, at least in my opinion, and in college basketball, there's still room for lower tier teams, teams like, VCU, for example, who cracked the top 25 and the very last spot, number 25. And then you had all these smaller tier teams. Colgate got a vote. Colgate. A team that had just made their first tournament appearance this past season. Their first since, I believe, the year I was born, 1996. And that was when they had a Foyle who went on to have a pretty good career, notably with the Warriors in the mid-2000s. And with college football, you rarely ever see teams outside of the power five making a real push for one of the higher spots in the polls. Meanwhile, in college basketball, there's always a chance for teams to ascend into the top 25 and even higher. For example, a team like Gonzaga, which two decades ago, they were kind of like an afterthought. Now they're one of the perennial programs in all of college basketball and they play in a mid-major. Their program is just that good. And they're consistently in the rankings year in and year out because they're really that good. So in the grand scheme of things, the college basketball poll, I mean, yes, it does have some bearing, but again, it just doesn't mean as much as college football per se. Especially when something happens along the lines of Virginia a couple years ago. They didn't even start the season ranked, yet they were the number one team in the country entering the NCAA tournament and the number one overall seed in the tournament. And I don't even have to say what happened with them. I think everybody knows what happened with them. So don't try to think much of these preseason polls because we're really going to see how good everyone is. If I'm being frank, really. Within the first couple months, I feel like by the new year, you're really going to see who's real and who's not. And then by March, you can kind of make your I build your own ideas of who's really a national national title contender and who's a pretender. But then again, you know, all this preseason talk about who's a contender, who's not, who should be ranked higher, who should be ranked lower. It's all fun and games. It's a lot of fun to discuss but the real fun is when the games start and we really get to see how how good everyone is. Don't go anywhere. My icebreaker, it's a good one. It's coming up next here on the Igloo. All right, folks, it's finally that time. It's time for this week's icebreaker. The regular season is so close now, and the time to finalize transfer waivers across the NCAA is coming real soon because everyone needs to finalize their rosters Ahead of opening night. And St. John's is really trying to do that because they have quite a few transfers that they would like to have eligible for the start of the season. And one of those is Rasheem Dunn, who is a Northeast kid, started off at St. Francis Brooklyn, but transferred to Cleveland State, sat out the year because of transfer rules. And after his head coach at Cleveland State got fired. He decided to come back home and transfer to St. John's and a lot of people were pegging Dunn to potentially be the starting point guard for the red storm this year. And Mike Anderson should really use a guy like him starting at point guard, a guy with experience at the point guard position over a guy like Greg Williams jr. Who really didn't see time at the point a year ago because they had a guy that a lot of people have heard of named Chamori Pons, who was arguably one of the best players in the big East a year ago and throughout his entire three-year career in Queens. Now this is where things get weird. Just keep in mind that Dunn had to sit out last season at Cleveland state transfers to St. John's. And you know what the NCAA does? They deny him a waiver to play after he already sat out a year. And the caveat of this, he might lose a year of eligibility now because of this. Can, uh, try to wrap your head around the stupidity of this. And to make matters worse, according to sources, the Cleveland State Athletic Director, Scott Garrett, apparently didn't vouch for him to get a waiver after he sat out all of last year and he was waiting on the opportunity to play at Cleveland State under the coach that he wanted to play for that Scott Garrett fired and he decides to go somewhere where he wants to play and a lot of other Cleveland State guys end up transferring too and several of them got waivers to play this year. Not Rasheem Dunn though because this nimble-minded AD Decided to have some sour grapes. That's that's Bush League, man. That is pure Bush League as the textbook definition of Bush League. You know, don't get me wrong. I love the sport of college basketball. It offers so much good. But it's just a shame that it's being run by such a corrupt, backwards hypocritical organization like the NCAA. You know, the NCAA tries to, you know, set standards in college athletics. You want to know what? The only standards they set are double standards. And as I like to say, no shade, just facts. And here are some facts. Back in the 1990s, the late Rick Majerus, uh, who was the head coach of Utah during this time, He was one of the most caring, thoughtful people in the college basketball world. He always looked out for his players and wanted the best for them. And I actually wrote a lot about him for a paper. I wrote for a communication ethics class when I was in my junior year of college. So I decided to write this paper about how much of a sham the NCAA is and how hypocritical they are and how they really just don't care about the welfare of their student athletes. Now, Rick Majeris, one instance back in the late 90s when he had Keith Van Horn on his team, who had a pretty good career, notably with the New Jersey Nets. One thing that he did uh, with Keith Van Horn, might okay, it might not have been Keith Van Horn, but I do remember this story vividly in writing about it. One of his players' dads had dad has had passed away. And obviously that's really hard on a college kid. So what he decided to do was just, it was really early in the morning. So he just decided to take him out for breakfast, you know, buy him breakfast just to take his mind off of things just for a little bit. Just talk about life, whatever. The NCAA saw that as a violation because they claim that he wouldn't do that for another student just because he was one of his players. It shows apparently to the NCAA that it's hypocritical and unequal service for him to care for one of his players instead of doing the same for a regular student. Now to make matters worse, Here's another thing. Another one of his players, one of his best friends from from his hometown, I believe it was somewhere near Chicago, he had committed suicide. And what Rick Majerus said, he knows that it's awfully hard. It was one of his best friends. And he paid for his flight to go back home and attend his friend's funeral. You know what the NCAA did? Slapped with another violation. Because apparently the NCAA doesn't want you to show basic human decency. (laughs) And that's exactly what they're doing here with Rasheem Dunn. He had already done his time sitting out a year at Cleveland State. Now they're going to make him sit out another year for basically no reason. And just listening to a moronic athletic director with sour grapes. Because he wanted to leave the program Because he wasn't going to be playing for the coach that he was going to be comfortable playing with. And he wanted to be closer to his family. If you're a decent person, you would be happy for them. But nope. Because you lost someone that could be vital to your program, you decide to just be bitter about it and basically rat him out to the NCAA and do everything you can to deny him a waiver to play. That is just pathetic. So Scott Garrett, you might want to find a a cone-shaped hat and just write dunce on it and put it on your head because that's what you are to me. Same with the people at the NCAA deciding that this was a good idea because it's clearly not. And to be honest with you, it's very hypocritical because some of the waivers that they've given out already are for much less. And here's this guy, Rasheem Dunn. He's just trying to play the game of basketball again. And this is his third school because he started at St. Francis, Brooklyn. Then he went to Cleveland State. Now he's here at St. John's. And here he is getting denied the chance to play basketball. The one thing that he probably loves more than anything other than his family. I mean, I can't speak for Rasheem Dunn, but I feel like if you're playing college basketball... If like, if you're still playing basketball beyond high school, I feel like you're doing it for the love of the game. And obviously because you're really good at it, but it's, be, but you're, you're keep doing it because you love the game. And I feel like that's, that's the case with Rasheem Dunn. And, and here he is being essentially forced to sit out unless this appeal somehow works out. But knowing the NCAA and their stubbornness, they're they're gonna, you know, disallow the appeal and, well, disregard it, I should say. So, NCAA, Scott Garrett, you, I can't even put into words how upset, angry, and just and just downright disappointed I am with the way that you've handled this situation and I'm not surprised that this has taken off to the extent that it has with St. John's fans apparently signing I think it was getting close to 2500 signatures to appeal this and give Rasheem the chance to play this season. And you know what even as a for, as a Seen Hall alum, I know Seen Hall and St. John's don't get along. But I can smell BS from a mile away, and that situation, everything about it is BS. Rasheem Dunn should absolutely have the chance to suit up and play for the Red Storm this year. So I'm with you, St. John's Nation. Free, rah, dunn. So that's it for this week's episode of the Igloo. Actually, you know what? I think I'm going to have a special Halloween episode for you later this week. So stay tuned for that. So until then, this is Tim Best signing off. Thanks for tuning into the Igloo and see you next time.